Hey, Shakes Pals, welcome to our season zero roundup episode where I will talk through the season and let y'all know who I would have chosen to argue for each episode. Before I dive in, though, I've got a couple of exciting announcements. First of all, huge congratulations to both me and Annalise for tying last week's Best Magical Creature Contest. Um, It was a very tight vote, but Ariel and Puck received the same number of votes with Oberon slipping one vote in there too. Thank you so much again to Annalise for joining us. It was a really exciting matchup and I'm so glad to have gotten to argue it. Second of all, there are some cool things on the Shakespeare radar that I wanted to draw all of your attention to. If you haven't heard of The Show Must Go Online, consider this your kind of late wake-up call. They've been streaming Shakespeare's plays since the very first week of lockdown, and they've put on some incredible productions, including a stunning Lear this week that was heartbreaking and beautiful and defied all laws of Zoom theater practices. And in the meantime, they have created an amazing, beautiful community of Shakespeare's across the globe, some of whom you've heard and will hear as guests on this show. Their upcoming series of shows are taking a little turn in casting, doing an all-female identifying and non-binary Macbeth, an all-male identifying and non-binary Coriolanus, and an all-global majority BIPOC Antony and Cleopatra. I will link the sign-up form and YouTube playlist of past shows in the show notes, and I highly encourage you to jump on board and apply for these as they are rounding up their stream of Shakespeare shows in the next couple months. Third and finally, we are going to start scheduling season two recordings in October. So if you like what you hear, send us a message on Twitter at P2MPod, on Facebook.com slash P2MPod, or email us at protesttomuchpod at gmail.com to let us know you're interested. And as always, if you're enjoying the show, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Welcome to Protest Too Much, a Shakespeare showdown podcast where a guest and I go head-to-head each week, and you get to decide who wins. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, I'm going to go through the six episodes of season zero and tell you all who I would have picked if I got the choice (laughs) for each matchup. So starting with episode one, which was the best couple with Mike as our guest. Um, Who's the best couple in all of Shakespeare? It's Beatrice and Benedict. I don't have to spend a lot of time on this one. They are so real. Um, They understand each other in ways that they don't even understand until they can put words to it, until their friends call it out. They are on the same page. They keep up with each other. Um, I think that their relationship is so well-rounded and so nuanced that it just blows me away every time I read Much Ado, which is a lot. (laughs) Um, I've also gotten to play Beatrice opposite Mike, my fiance, who was our guest on episode one. And besides the fact that he jumped into a moat in the middle of the show, um, it was just a really great experience to get to put that on stage. So I have a personal connection. I told him he wasn't allowed to choose Beatrice and Benedict for either of us to argue because having to poke holes in the other person's argument would have been too sad for me and I wouldn't have been able to get through that. So Beatrice and Benedict were off limits for that one. But 
I just think they're the best. Um, I'm not sure it's really a question. I, that's what my heart tells me. They have issues. They struggle. They fight. But at the end of the day, they are just so giddy in love. And the fact that their friends can bring that to the surface is a beautiful thing about that play. Okay, episode two, best family unit or strongest family. Our guest was Lane for that one. And this was also an easy one for me to kind of think back on and make up my mind about because I think going back to Mike's episode from episode one, I think that the pages from the Merry Wives of Windsor would be the best, tightest family unit. I know that the whole kind of crux of the Anne subplot centers around the fact that they're all pulling for a different suitor for Anne. But in terms of disagreements between families in Shakespeare's plays, it really is the kindest and nicest and most understanding disagreement that they have. Um, they, at the end of the day, when Anne gets married to Fenton, they're like, well, I mean, okay, I guess it is what it is. Let's all go back to the pub and have a drink. And that is the chillest dad reaction that I think any Shakespearean daughter who marries someone their father doesn't want could ever possibly have. I also love that George knows Margaret. He knows what she's like. He knows who she is. Um, they have a wonderful relationship. There's no jealousy there. You know, um, Mistress Ford, when she says, oh, here comes my husband, he's so jealous. And then Maggie's like, yeah, my husband is as far from jealousy as I have from giving him cause. And I think that quote is so nice because she's laying it out that, you know, he's George is never going to be jealous because she's never given him a reason to be. And they just have that deep understanding of each other and a productive marriage that made two cool children. Um, and well, I guess I did just say that Anne Page was cool. So I take that back. That's not necessarily true. They've got two kids um, and they still care about each other deeply and they're able to be playful and fun and funny and yeah, even when they're contesting each other, it's not malicious in any way. They do go behind each other's backs, but at the end of the day, it's all so much less aggressive than I think probably any of Shakespeare's other families. Um, so yeah, I would choose the pages from The Merry Wives for best family unit. Okay. Um, episode three was best clown with Ryan as our guest. And God, this one is so hard. I think that, so in season three, we're going to be looking at entertainers in Shakespeare's plays. So we're going to be looking at fools versus clowns and really like delineating between the two types in that category. Um, so if I'm going with clowns specifically, I think that I have to choose bottom. I think that he represents so much of who we are at heart. Um, and I know this is who Ryan had me argue for, but he just is so, um, as an actor, as someone in theater, we all know uh, Nick Bottom. We all know someone who's too big for his britches, but underneath it all, they have this wild sincerity for being someone different, someone who, you know, the, his position in society isn't great. Acting is his escape. He is trying to to make his mark in whatever way he can and I think that when you play that bottoms dream monologue in a more like sympathetic or uh kind of almost sad 
way, then it opens up so much for that character that, yes, he's braggadocious. Yes, he's a little dumb. Yes, he, you know, falls into this whole thing. <laughs> um, but he just is trying so hard. And there's a level of sincerity that I think, you know, can be brought to bottom that makes him truly uh, a unique and special clown. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with bottom. Um, episode four, best villain. I'm sorry, Link. Uh, it is not Mamilius from The Winter's Tale, although I am very proud of the argument I made for that. Um, I know it's the easy answer, but it's Iago. Hands down, every day it's Iago. Uh, Iago looks at the audience at the beginning of the play and he says, hey, y'all, I'm going to do all of these things, okay? And we as the audience, we sit there and we're like, okay, Iago, have fun. Have have fun putting this plot in place and getting everyone killed. We are accomplices. And I think the same is true for Richard III. Um, and I think Richard III also has his place there among the best villains. But I would choose Iago every day just because of how um, charming he is, how Everyone loves him. And that's something that I don't think Richard has. Richard doesn't have the same likability that Iago does. When we start the play, everyone loves Iago. Othello trusts Iago more than anyone else. And Richard has that ability to manipulate and get people kind of onto his side, but not the effervescent charm that I think Iago naturally has, the draw for other people to respect him and listen to him and trust his opinions. When you look at the relationship that he has with Othello, it's so deep and there's so much trust built there from Othello's side that it's just, it hurts so much more. Even though we as the audience know from the very, very start that this is what he's planning on doing, it hurts when he does it because we just see how much everyone loves him. And I really love, you know, when I watch a, an Othello, I love seeing that charming uh, crowd pleasing you know everyone loves Iago type of of character built because it just like when the hammer hits it hits even harder and you know there's so much power in a charming villain so I'm gonna go with Iago because uh, just thinking about him makes me feel a lot of things <laughs> so episode five was the best leader um, with Meg as our guest and this conversation with Meg was just so um, interesting between Lear and uh, Titus. And I think that we examined so many different aspects of a leader that I hadn't really thought of when I was proposing some of these topics. Um, but for this, I I feel like through this uh, episode, I'm revealing how much of a basic B I am for Shakespeare because it's Henry V. I'm sorry, y'all. I love him so much. He is, I think, Shakespeare's only hero. I read an article once that it's my favorite, like, uh, I guess, criticism quote that I've ever read, but it was something like, Shakespeare has no heroes, he only has heroines. And it points out how many of Shakespeare's women are so much more, have so much more of a hero's journey in a positive manner, even if they die at the end. Uh, than his men do. And and I think that's true. And I think that I want, I'm inviting you all to challenge me. Who are Shakespeare's heroes? Who are the men of Shakespeare that we leave the play saying, yes, they are icons. 
Um, and I know that Henry V is problematic in his own nuanced ways, but we really get to see his journey and his journey from vagabond rustabout sitting in a tavern, you know, doing thieves and taking money to St. Crispin's Day. And we get little nuggets of that. Um, there's a quote in Henry IV, Part One, um, and it's before, it's kind of while the battles are starting. It's after the otter scene. It's <laughs> at the end of the scene where uh, Falstaff calls Mistress Quickly and otters. I don't remember what scene it is, but that's, whew, speaking of insults. Um, and, and Hal comes in and as he leaves, he says, the land is burning, Percy stands on high, and either we or they must lower lie. And that couplet to me just represents everything that Hal will become. And he's not quite there yet. But we see that glimpse of the St. Crispin's Day uh, rhetoric from him. We see him start to build who he is going to be as a king. And it's such a perfect little nugget of a moment that I just fall in love with him 10 times over. You know, every time I read it or see it, um, I, I love Hal and his journey is hard and he has to make hard decisions. And the decisions of you know, casting Falstaff off are not nice. It's not a nice decision that he has to make, but he has to do it. And that kills Falstaff. And so we see this kind of treachery and betrayal, but not in the same way that we see in other leaders or other, you know, it's not the same way as a Lear who betrays Cordelia or uh, Titus who betrays Lavinia. It's a different betrayal and it hurts just as much. But his justification for it is so much better than Lear or Titus's, I, I think, personally. Um, always open to interpretation. But I just think that there's so much strength in him as a character. And because we get three plays worth of his journey, I think that, you know, just the way and the way he's able to inspire his troops, the way he speaks, the way he moves the plays forward. I just think for best leader, I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can beat him. Um, but again... That's my opinion. Um, and then uh, episode six was Magical Character with Annalise. And man, I think that I have to stick with Ariel here. I think that Annalise gave me a real beautiful gift because there's something, like I said in the episode, uh, mine would, sir, were I human, is one of my favorite lines in all of Shakespeare. And there's such a beauty in Ariel as a character and so much fire and so much power but so much understanding um Ariel has this incredible power but doesn't use it for you know his own personal gain or personal evil or personal malice in any way there's so much genuine sincerity in him as a character that I just think he's beautiful and I think that he's strong and I think that he has so much to offer an audience and there's also as an actor so much room for play there there's a playfulness about him and uh, a beauty of movement and so when you get all of those elements together not that puck doesn't have that not that the other magical characters in shakespeare's plays don't have that you know i think titania is brilliant titania and oberon back and forth are amazing um and so 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 strong and then you've got the you know, dingy, raw witches from Macbeth, but none have the, the combination beauty, fire, fear, and sincerity that Ariel has to me. Um, I just, yeah, I think that 
that's it. I, I, I think he's a beautiful character. I don't have much else to say there. Um, I said a lot of it in the episode, so you can go back and check that out if you want to hear me gush about Ariel more. Um, I really loved some of the arguments that my guests brought for me to defend. It was fun. It was challenging. Some were very easy, um, but I really loved getting to chat with them all throughout this season. And I also love being able to share my thoughts and, you know, my picks for each of these as well. So that's it for me today. I would love to hear from you all. Please get in touch. Again, we are casting for season two, so I'm excited to get on board for that. Email us at protesttoomuchpod at gmail.com. Again, follow us on Twitter, facebook.com slash p2mpod or Twitter at p2mpod. We did change those handles um, to make it a little bit easier and more consistent across the board. So you can check us out there. Um, we've got a website coming soon. We've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. I cannot tell you all how amazed I am that we have a listener every week, let alone so many of you coming in to join our show. Um, so thank you for being here. I would love even more if you could give us a five-star rating on iTunes, on uh, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcast listening in. Um, that would help us out a ton just for visibility's sake and follow us on social media. And you get to vote every week. So this week we don't have a vote coming up, but I would love to hear who your picks would have been for each of these episodes. So if you want to share those with us, I I would love to hear it. I want to hear all your thoughts on Shakespeare. Um, that's the goal of this show. So I'm going to stop now and let you all get to the rest of your day. But thank you so much for joining me and I will see you next week. Yes.